0: Hello and welcome to Girls Gone Canon Reads A Song of Ice and Fire, episode 180, brand two in a storm of swords. I am one of your hosts, Chloe.
1: And I am another one of your hosts, Eliana. This is such a special episode specifically for Chloe. I'm excited for us to be here today.
0: Yeah, thanks for joining me. And I let Eliana come too for this one. I thought it could be fun for her to still be on the podcast for it. Yeah. My, uh, my roommate- that guy I live with was joking. Hmm. He was like, I can't believe you even let Eliana show up for this one. It's just the Cloathon."
1: Well, she needs someone to react to her billions. So that's what I'm here for. Someone's got to the...
0: laugh at my jokes, folks.
1: You know, I'm here to be the loving, adoring audience. That's, and you do that's a about damn it. good
0: job of it. You do a damn good job of I'm it. I do. No, you have a lot of great thoughts about this episode, too. And we'll talk a little bit more. About why this chapter is one of my favorites in a little bit, but first, some housekeeping for you all up top,
1: yeah. So we have our Patreon episode for this month. We are continuing our read through of a couple of George's short stories. And this month, maybe maybe we thought it would like pair kind of nicely with some of the names and stuff that we're going to talk about in this episode. But January's Patreon episode will be, a song for Leah, or a song for Laya, depending on how you want to pronounce it. George doesn't pronounce Dothraki right, so I can say whatever I want.
0: Oh my god! <laughs> yes, we're going to be talking about A Song for Leah. You can grab it in the Dream Songs Anthology, or on its own, it's a novella, novelette, whatever you want to call it.
1: <coughs> Might even be- is it a short story? Is it a novel? No one knows. Who
0: knows? <laughs> it's got a couple little sci-fi themes in it and yes some very familiar names and characters in some ways that you might know from the ace world or feel at home reading right i kind of like that these stories are tangential they're not in the same world but they have some george in them that's for sure you read it and you know it's george rr martin
1: and that's available for patrons in the Stranger Turn above five dollars and up Now let's say you want to be a patron in the Thunder tier and above, the $10 and up
0: tier, you get access to our special Patreon Discord. Patrons in that tier over at Discord, there are- my god, we have like over 100 members of this Discord, which is amazing. Thank you so much to everyone that's joined. We hang out once a month in the voice chat, we do a video voice chat where we do brunch slash happy hour and there's games and get to know you's and icebreakers and just chit chatting and sometimes we talk about i don't know sometimes we talk about aswaf sometimes Uh, the hot d days were like completely just talking about the episodes it was a blast even though we had other events going on that we were also all hanging out and talking about the episodes in it was a blast
1: sometimes you just talk about british slang you know and and celebrities doing silly tasks uh for like some game show that now i forgot the the name of (laughs)
0: It's really cool to have people from all over that hang out in our Discord and come to these brunches. This month's is going to be January 21st, Saturday, and it's going to be the last Saturday brunch for a couple of months for another reason we'll tell you about in just a moment. But if you are in that Thunder tier or want to join that Thunder tier, that is just one of the perks that you will get as a member of that tier at patreon.com slash canon. And starting Saturday, February 4th, We will have another event taking place weekly.
1: This month's brunch, January 21st, 1 p.m. Eastern Time. And then that will start transitioning in February, February 4th, to coverage of Season 3 of His Dark Materials. Our wonderful patrons, Cassidy and Pete, are hosting slash co-hosting a rewatch of His Dark Materials Season 3.
0: Yeah, and there are even going to be some guest hosts Here and there, I'm hearing uh, a couple people have volunteered to take some episodes off their hands, and it's a great time. They bring, honestly, it's kind of professional. They've really stepped the game up in series two when they did the rewatch. Series one and two, they did, you know, like full on slides with photos so that as you chat about stuff, you have the photos right there. A couple people even did, I think, GIFs and video clips. So I think season three is going to be a blast. It's going to be something to look out for.
1: It's going to be emotionally damaging, but that's why we like the his dark material series
0: and engage with it maybe. If you haven't checked them out and you are a fan of the series or if you're looking for something to read, take a take a gander, right? Pull open a book. We did cover the main trilogy. That's the first book Northern Lights Golden Compass, second book The Subtle Knife and third book The Amber Spyglass as Well, as we've covered all of the novellas that Philip Pullman has put out in that universe over at Patreon for Stranger, Tier and above, and if that's not enough, we have started the companion trilogy, The Books of Dust, we have finished La Belle Sauvage, our coverage of that is up at a platform near you, and I'm hearing from a little bird that the next book in the companion trilogy is not far off from hitting GGC production. So keep your ears, keep your eyes peeled.
1: It's a secret. A secret Commonwealth. (laughs) But yeah, and as well as completing our coverage of the main book trilogy, we have, of course, put out all of our episodes already of His Dark Materials, which wrapped up here in North America.
0: Yeah, notice Eliana called it Season 3, where it was Series 1 and Season 2 because it aired first in America this year. Legally, that makes it a United States show now.
1: Yes, legally, we own it now
0: (laughs) oh my god it's called
1: the golden compass now officially that's been on actually fascinatingly maybe it's tied to this to the series it has been on a lot of airplanes recently like united airlines has it for sure like amongst movies that you can watch
0: interesting
1: yeah interesting it's coming back it's making a comeback i will
0: also say at holidays it is a big holiday movie. All the stations play it at holidays for some reason. That's it's, it's so like
1: fascinating a, to me.
0: <laughs> I literally think because they think the story is tangential in a way, which it is to C.S. Lewis' Narnia stuff. And I think those, and you know how like Harry Potter and Narnia and all that, those movies are big Christmas ones because they usually have snow scenes and family shit and everyone can watch them. I really truly think that they consider it a holidayable movie, holidayable programming.
1: That's so funny
0: to me. It's so funny. Because it's literally not about that.
1: Yep. 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 But...
0: Well, that that movie wasn't about anything. Let's be real.
1: Someone's (laughs) making money, so happy for Uh. them, I guess.
0: Yes. Yes. Well, thanks for listening to all the housekeeping. I I know this is the trudgy part, but we're about to get to all the excitement. And this is a big deal. Eliana, you've gone, like... Weeks starved of attention, of reviews, of emails. No one's commented on Podbean. No one's cared about you except me every day. But, oh my
1: gosh, am I being isolated? <laughs> <laughs>
0: you had a plethora of emails, messages, comments, support, tweets come through for you to talk about and read about.
1: I felt like Rapunzel there for a moment with uh, no one cares about you but me. <laughs> brush his hair. <laughs> <laughs>
0: oh, yeah. None of these comments talk about the best part of the podcast, oh which gosh. is the constant nagging back and forth. Yeah.
1: So we did get some nice words from one of our friends, Jamie. Not that Jamie, though, spelled a little different. Another I, but not where you think.
0: <laughs> where do you think? Why? I don't know. I just
1: wanted to quote. I just wanted to quote Madison from from She-Hulk, the best character yes. out of She-Hulk. Uh, but anyways, Jamie sent us a nice email. Thank you very much for that. Uh, there are some things in it that we might address and come back to at another point.
0: Yes, very much so. There's always a time and place in our email world. We do keep them. I mean, we have a little a little folder. We put them in and uh, we go searching for the right stuff. But There's a lot of right stuff today, like what Clara sent. She is a fan of our coverage of the brand chapters thus far. And in episode 179 last week, brand one, ASOS, she thought she should write in about the alpha and beta wolf discussion and how usually wolves choose their leaders on physical strength and ability, but but there are African wolves, sometimes known as wild African dogs, who decide on their leader based on talents and personality traits. So sometimes their alpha can be physically disabled, and scientists have found wolves without tails or legs leading their packs. They said, I wonder if the concept of a physically disabled leader is an idea that interests George. Hmm, what could it mean? What could it mean? Also, Eliana might like these wolves, as they're very cute and they have very big Mickey Mouse ears.
1: Thank you so much for this email, Clara. And yes, agreed, like, uh, Clara also says something that, you know, the term alpha has been very misappropriated by certain movements of people. I don't know if I should even call them a movement. I don't know if they deserve that title, but, and that's kind of why I tried to, you know, a little bit t- say had wolf. I know that Alpha has every now and then some people have kind of debunked like whether or not wolves are structured in that way. And as Clara points out wisely that oftentimes the leader of packs are based on those talents and personality traits and I think that Claire makes a good point as to whether, you know, George is exploring the idea of a physically disabled leader when it comes to wolves, because when we covered Varamyr's chapters, right, we learned about that smaller wolf pack of One-Eye, Stalker, and Sly, where One-Eye is actually the head of that pack. And uh, I think that the name kind of gives away that One-Eye might be physically
0: disabled. The name, indeed.
1: Indeed. He's also, you know, the biggest, but not the leanest or the quickest of the wolves, so.
0: Oh, I love that. That's really interesting. And they do have really fucking cute ears. You're not wrong, Clara. That is true. You're not wrong. I love a good ear. (sighs) Uh.
1: Well, actually, we've gotten a lot of reviews the past few months. So thank you to everyone who has written in with one. We appreciate it and we take it into account. Like, for example... You know, we we do use it to improve the podcast. Someone called out, you know, when Chloe and I were like, wouldn't it be wonderful to record together? That unfortunately, the audio did suffer a bit. So we did correct that for the benefit of everyone. But this one, I just wanted to call it out of thanks for all the hours of your podcast. It's pretty great. You two are an amazing, funny and dorky in all the best ways. Thank you. And I'm sorry to inform you, but I do not have $8,000 a month to pay you to Stop podcasting so i guess i will just have to keep on listening sincerely yeah. yours jake well jake i don't know what to say you know i don't know if the world is happy or disappointed that unfortunately everyone will just have to keep listening to us because you could not do this thing for us
0: i will say it's only been what maybe 15 <laughs> episodes since i said that for eight thousand dollars i don't know what episode it was but it was recently in the last year that i said pay us eight thousand dollars and i will stop i will completely that will be my silence and no one has taken me up on that yet per
1: month not just eight thousand dollars right
0: oh i said per month you're right thank yes. you that might be why yes.
1: it's uh Aliana's making sure perpetuity. i get my bag yeah
0: absolutely <laughs> it's in perpetuity friends don't shortchange yourself chloe Mm-mm. uh thank you so much jake i appreciate the review and we did grab an email from our friend thunderclap and there was a lot of really good stuff in this email, and I really wanted to point out basically Thunderclap broke down that he thinks Cold Hands is Maester Willis. He points out Maester Willis, who we hear of in The Wall and Beyond in the world of Ice and Fire, but he's a Maester of the Citadel who journeyed to Hard Home on a Pentoshi trader and establishes himself with the free folk and kind of wrote down their customs and He was under the protection of a chieftain named Gorm. Gorm gets murdered in a drunken brawl. Willis ends up in danger and flees back to Old Town where he writes hard home an account of the three years spent beyond the Wall among savages, raiders, and wood witches. The year after the illuminations are done, he vanishes. And it's said at the Citadel he was last seen at the docks looking for a ship to take him to Eastwatch. So, that's your little quick brief from me to bring you back in. I would never have thought about this ever, and I think this actually could be true. Like I think Thunderclap might have cracked it. He points out a couple lines, right, of like, obsidian does not burn, Armin said. Dragonglass, Pate said, the small folk call it dragonglass. Somehow that seemed important, right, so the knowledge of dragonglass and obsidian being at the citadel and its properties. And then he also points out, the ranger studied his hands as if he had never noticed them before once the heart has ceased to beat, a man's blood runs down into his extremities where it thickens and congeals. And he also thinks that Kyburn, because this could be following the same path as Willis and why they both fled the Citadel, maybe for playing with those mysteries that they were not supposed to be playing with.
1: Yeah, I thought this was really interesting. I did not remember Maester Willis, so thank you for calling that out. And it does seem really plausible, like, you know, because we know that Cold Hands isn't, Benjamin, based on the manuscript that was at the what Cushing Library, mm-hmm. despite what the show might tell you, and there is a puzzle right behind Cold Hands, but it's not it's not something that like might be a really big character that we know. So this is a I think this kind of fits.
0: Yeah, I think it's important enough in the scheme of the plot, but not too important. And I think I feel like Cold Hands is definitely someone we don't know. Like. No one's thinking of it right away. Not someone yeah. under your nose.
1: If he is a maester and, like, tying it with Kyber, or even, like, tying it with, or, like, with Marwyn, we already know that Sam and Brand's stories intersect with one another, so this is another way that they could tie together even more, right?
0: That's a great point. I like that. I really like this theory. I, I like Maester Willis or Wyllis. Whatever you want to say. Leah, lia, Villis. liar, George R. R. Martin. Villees. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> G- George lied. Leah's died. I-, I like this theory a lot about Maester Willis. Wylless. Good. Nicely done. Nicely done, Thunderclap. Thunderclap. Get get yes, it? I Cause... did. I do get it. So our last thing that we got before we get on in... Is from our friend over at Twitter at Weirdwood Throne, who put out a great thread after Brand 7 in Clash, talking about the parallels of the Clash prologue with a maidster amidst a smoking ruin, right, with Dragonstone. And then the finale with Brand's final chapter and Lewin dying in Winterfell and some of those great emotional beats between the two, uh, tying them together with prophecy and with rulership and with identity and lies. And it's a really great thread. I have linked it here. You should all read it.
1: And it's a great analysis in that we know that George does think about how can I tie these books together, right? Like in terms of structure and thematics. And I think that Weirwood Throne, apt name, does a great job of tying it all together. Yes. All right. So we are here, but not quite yet, but almost there. Again, this is Girl Gone Canon, Chloe's show, Um, and she has some (laughs) things to say about A Storm of Swords Brand 2. Please anticipate that this might also happen again for A Storm of Swords Brand 3. Who knows?
0: Thank you, Eliana. Thank you for having me on my podcast today. I'm so Uh, excited to be here. thank you for having
1: me on on your podcast (laughs) today.
0: Uh, I wanted to talk a little bit about what Brand 2 means to me, the title of my eighth grade book project today. Here's what brand two and a storm of swords means to me. This is one of my favorite chapters, famously, based on a lot of parts of it. it. It's it's up there with perfect chapters. Like Sansa 7 in this book is also a very good chapter. There's a certain flirtation of this chapter from a very meta sense, right? Like your cleverest reader has to piece together a puzzle as George goes along through Mira's voice to see if you have it all, to see if it's all clicking, if you understand, who is this lord with this thing? Who is that lord? Who is this lady they're talking about in code? And then you get interrupted throughout the story in such an annoying sense of Mira and Jojen stopping and being like, wait, are you really listening? Did you hear this? Are you sure you don't know this story already? And it's funny because they're not just speaking to Bran, right? But they're speaking to... reader. They're reaching through the page and saying to you, are you paying attention? It's not only that, but it's also kind of a war story, right? Like we open the first half, we have the little who is out there in the cave. And there's kind of this secret agreement where they're not telling each other who they are, even though they know who they are, even though the symbols of legitimacy for both of who these people are, are right there. They're not exchanging that information. And it becomes a travelogue starting with The War of the North, and moving into Howland's actions during Robert's Rebellion, right? Giving us these small glimpses at what the North has already given for the South. Small experiences and people that show us the North's involvement, like Theo Wool. We don't get the full story on him, but Mira says, My father knew him. He went South with him. Well, she doesn't say what happened to Theo Wool, but we know what happened to Theo Wool, Right? We know what happened outside of that tower, that he was slain at the Tower of Joy. And not only do these characters in this chapter start to unravel here, but they start to unravel in different places throughout the book, right? Arya's chapter is also a really great story that intersects with Bran's story without really physically doing so. Uh, In Storm, she's hearing the other side of a lot of these stories. She's hearing about some of these characters from the Rebellion. She's even re-meeting some of these characters from the Rebellion, there's even some mysterious appearances and disappearances that we'll probably talk about today, like Richard Lonmouth possibly appearing into the plot in the very same book, and the Brotherhood kind of being a twisted echo of Robert's Rebellion writ small. The mystery of this chapter and I don't know what surrounds it. It's it's one of the Phantom's most like lusted after enigmas, right? The answers to Robert's rebellion lie just beneath the surface, if we can only dig deeper, mixed with that innocence of storytelling, something that remains so central for not only Bran's plot, right? Who we opened the story with old Nan and her stories, and that's part of his his story, right? Keeping those stories, preserving them, opening with his father, the stories his father taught him something that also remains central to *A Song of Ice and Fire's themes, to the song itself. I think about the theories that this chapter alone is able to, like, stem in the community in essays and podcasts, and I think it's just a very powerful favorite chapter of mine that it tells the story of the little Cranog man who could, to brand the Broken Boy, who also could, and also that it tells the story of his kin, of his family, that he's so sorely missing, and of his past that he never got to know.
1: Mm. That's a great summary of what makes this chapter so important, right? It, As you said, it ties together with everything else. It kind of, speaking of the structure of books, it kind of encapsulates and is a sort of like archstone, right? That, that holds together the entirety of A Storm of Swords. A lot of it turns around this. And you're going to walk us through it. We're going to dig into it. You talked a little bit about how we're going to see a Storm Lord, so... Let's jump into our lightning round.
0: <laughs> yeah, today's lightning round. We kept it stark plus the one Danny and Sam chapter. Sorry, Davos, Jamie, Tyrion. Come back again next week. See you later. Goodbye. <laughs> Goodbye. And kick it off, Aliana, with some Arya too. Yeah, Arya too. Arya and her
1: team of scamps are caught by a new band of brothers. But this time, there's something familiar about some of them.
0: Catalan 2. Catalan awaits her punishment by the king, but he crawls back with his tail between his legs because the young pup has taken a new wife. Gasp. John
1: 2. John daydreams of attacking Mance, but at night, sleeps inside of
0: Egret. Yeah, he does. Sansa 2. Sansa's given a new dress, but the motives for having said dress are ulterior. Arya
1: 3. Hotpie stays at the inn to live out his baking dreams, and Arya and Gendry continue on with the Brotherhood Without Banners.
0: Samwell 1. Sam runs from ice zombies and bravely slays one with obsidian.
1: Catelyn 3. Rob must decide what to do when one of his men betrays
0: him. Betrayal. Arya 4. Arya meets the Ghost of High Heart.
1: Daenerys, too. Frustrated in the night, Daenerys takes Eyrie for a lover. She ponders how she will lead
0: compared to her family members. And boy, are we at a chapter to (laughs) talk about that. (gasps) (sighs) Brand two, stories are like old friends. You have to visit them from time to time.
1: Aw, like every single week over the course of several years. (laughs) Until we die. Yeah. Or next (laughs) month if you want to revisit His Dark Materials, Season 3. Okay. So, Brand 2 begins with. Them walking along gray stone peaks, blue lakes, piney woods, a lot of great natural imagery here that is not, in fact, from the wolf POV. The forest floor carpeted in needles, looking into the clear, cold night for the ice dragon. Tune into our coverage of the ice dragon from last month. The blue star in the dragon's eye points them north.
0: Osha had told Bran this once, and he thinks about her, wondering where she and Rickon are, and imagines them safe and warm eating eels and crab pie with Lord Manderly, or even warming themselves at Last Hearth. But maybe this is just projection, because Bran's days are now up and down, up and down, as Mira describes them, cold and spent on Hodor's back. They're probably having a very bad time, Osha and Rickon, right? Like, they're probably in the autumn borderline winter storms to Skagos. They're probably—everything's horrible.
1: Yeah. I mean, everything, like, it might be horrible, it might not. They're not eating eels and crab pie. They might be eating people. Who knows? (laughs) But (laughs) uh, they, yeah, they are not at all where Bran thinks they might be. And I mean, everyone's having a bad time right now. Like, they're going up and down because of all these mountains. But also, it's, life is a roller coaster, you know? (laughs) That's why I don't go on roller coasters. (laughs)
0: This is really great advice that you could give to Bran. You know, last week I said, what, don't Grand Theft Auto that boat. This week you're like, don't do roller coasters, Bran. (laughs) These are really sensible.
1: Mira says she hates Prince Bran's stupid mountains. though she loved them yesterday and says her lord father told her about mountains, but she'd never seen one until now. So now she hates them. But she says she also both loves and hates them. And Bran says, mm, I don't know how someone can feel two things at once, uh, that they are different like night and day or even like ice and fire. Uh,
0: Westeros Mountains, real quick. I just was thinking about what mountains Howland would have seen, right? Because the most uh. mountainous populated geography is really in the Vale. Where you have Headman's Mount and the Three Sisters and the Giant's Lance in the Vale and Mountains of the Moon. And in the north, you have the Northern Mountains that we're literally in right now, exploring the northwest side of the north, located kind of west of the King's Road, south of the Gift. Beyond the wall, you have the Fork Top, which is in the Frost Fangs, and then the Frost Fangs themselves. And finally, we have the Red Mountains in Dorn. Dividing Dorne in the south from, like, the Stormlands and the Reach to the north, houses in this area are Blackmont. Uh, you have High Hermitage, the Danes, Kingsgrave, Skyreach, Starfall, Wyle, and Ironwood. And of course, these mountains contain the ruins of the Tower of Joy and the Vultures' Roost. So it would have been the Red Mountains, he told her about, right?
1: Yes, I think so. I mean, these mountains, we come back to them quite a few times, especially during, you know, the World of Ice and Fire when we learn about some of the, uh, the Targaryen attempts at conquest. So mm-hmm. these are these are prominent mountains, and I do think it sounds like Howland would have seen them. We know he went to the Tower of Joy, but...
0: And he also, went to Starfall.
1: Yeah, he went to Starfall. And also, I, I feel like you're talking about a different set of mountains, though. Like, in the way that, you know, we have... Those mountains that are named for
0: oh my god (laughs) Missy and Missy's teeth yeah yes the red mountains (laughs) are they also Ashara's titties discuss amongst yourselves anyways
1: we we will get to some a tangential not just about the titties though later on
0: Um, I'm really glad that you understand that when I speak it's usually about Howland and Ashara like even if I'm not saying it. as we get to the end of this chapter into the story i think it's just important to look at the perspective that this story comes from all the details and like do all these details really come from howland alone that's all i'm asking there's a lot of details throughout these stories that make you wonder the the depth that could have come from howland or could have come from another parent i don't know i don't know one
1: with mountains
0: if ice can burn said jojin in his solemn voice then love and hate can mate, mountain or marsh, it makes no matter. The land is one.
1: One, his sister agreed, but over wrinkled. Other than the the land is one. That seems pretty important, right? But also, I mean, we talk a lot about this line of if I can burn the love and hate can mate, right? Of of things being paradoxically encapsulated in in one thing, right? And the complexity of. Of ideas and of people, etc. I feel like what I've said kind of is enough because we've talked about it probably in like I don't know a bazillion episodes throughout our podcast. That's how I, that's my take on that.
0: I love that it is very much like shades of gray versus black and white, right? Like Mira's yes. like yeah, the land is one, but it's overly wrinkled. There's too many wrinkles in it, too many complications. You know, it harkens back to what like Melisandre's onion is. What it makes me think of is you either good. Or you are bad. And I'm like, no, you can cut that hunk out.
1: Yeah, it makes me think of like Walt Whitman's, one of my favorite lines from his poetry right? Of, do I contradict myself very well? Then I contradict myself. I am large. I contain multitudes.
0: Yes. Yes. Quote it daily. I do. (laughs) Bran constantly reminds them the King's Road would get them to the Three-Eyed Crow and flying faster. They'd find much more food that way too. Mira's hunting skills are great, and Summer would be able to find more food for them to hunt.
1: I feel this, Bran. We also see Bran increasing in his affection towards Mira, right? He clearly admires her strength, her agility, and skill. And interestingly, some of what he seems to admire in Mira kind of parallels what he enjoys about being Summer in terms of being strong fast, a good hunter. And it kind of feels like, is there a sort of triangulation here, right? That the things that he may one day desire from Mira are actually the things that he wants for himself in regards to mobility or who he had hoped to be.
0: I like that you've called that out because there's also that need and want that he wants to be able to protect his friends and also contribute to their protection or contribute Mm. to their day. And being physically limited makes it so like, Like Summer, like for him right now, he's sending Summer out in the woods, but he's not finding really a ton of food. He's finding a little food, but not a lot where they are. And he yearns to be able to give them something in exchange for the protection and the kindness that they're affording him, and he feels guilty. Right now, he feels like all he's doing is failing at the only mission he has. He has no other options that can give him that little dopamine hit of, I've done something for the group.
1: That kind of makes a lot of sense in the context of of the littles that we'll talk about in a second. Mm-hmm. So Jojen remains stubborn in his desire to stay away from the roads, right, where travelers can be found and who would spread rumors about their queer little party. And I honestly, Jojen's got it right. And the desire to be a hidden, like, royal and staying away from the main road is, a, is kind of reminiscent of Brienne and Jamie, right? Sneaking out, sneaking through the Riverlands to get back to King's Landing and wanting to also avoid identification. And through Brienne and Jamie being caught and then being like, wow, we know that person, even though he looks less good than he used to. Apparently Jojen's fears are very warranted.
0: Great way to tie that together because that is like happening right now. That and that, there's so much of Arya right in these mm. chapters as well. She just was scooped up and recognized by the Brotherhood, who say they have good motivations, which to some points they do, especially in comparison to others but they still take her and ransom her for money compared to the little they meet here that we'll talk about later. There's definitely a little innocence in Bran's leading still going on, right? The boy is still very much there. Like, Osha and Rickon are probably hanging at White Harbor. And also here, why don't we take the King's Road? Bitch, we're hiding. And I say that affectionately, Bran.
1: Yeah, that's kind of funny that you you talk about how he's idealizing what's happening, right? Like, doesn't I think Arya and even Sansa, right, idealize what the other might be going through. They're like, they're probably fine. Mm -hmm. Nobody is fine right now, okay? None of your family is fine. They're gonna get worse,
0: but... The only coping they (laughs) have is that, is just lying. We lie now. That's what we do.
1: Yeah. The idea that Bran thinks that, you know, they would be safe on the King's Road, I think that there are absolutely valid critiques of Ned's parenting, but... Since this chapter is about things being more than one thing at once, mm-hmm. yeah, Ned didn't necessarily prepare his children for the dangers of the outside world or when it came to politicking, etc. But I think there's also an aspect of it that is kind of a good testament to Ned's parenting and that if Bran feels safe about what the King's Road entails, that shows that for their children, Ned created a world where his children felt safe. And I think that's kind of nice, right? To create a world where they can feel comfortable and that... Things would be welcoming, though. Yes, of course, it does show Brand's naivete.
0: He just didn't have enough time with him. Yeah, and, and it's something
1: that. you you kind of tell your kids. You start exposing them to those things like a little later, right? Not at nine, mm-hmm. but I mean, I you mean, do gotta started. tell them some. Yeah, you do gotta tell them kind of like something it's like, "Yo, be careful. Look both ways when you cross the street."
0: Well, like he know. tells Cat in the very beginning that he plans to take them. That's true. That's It's time. It's been well past. And I think there's actually a lot of... There's a lot of Ned in this chapter. There literally is. But yeah, there's a, a, some interesting stuff to be gleaned with Bran and Ned towards the end of this chapter after we get the Hall story. Yeah. They're put in very similar positions.
1: That is true. And the depression might be one of them.
0: Yeah. <laughs> they struggle through rainy days, windy days, days full of sleet, climbing higher, moving a little more north each time.
1: To be fair to them, this is a difficult climb, and the elevation probably makes it even harder, not just the weather, right? Because that's even less, less oxygen.
0: They have just poor multipliers going on for them all around. It really sucks. Mm-hmm. Mira asks if anyone lives up in this area of the north, and he tells her about the umbers, the wools, the harclays, the knots, littles, norries, and even flints of the mountains. Ned's grandma actually was a flint. Nan would say this was where Bran got his foolish climbing blood from.
1: <laughs> Mira remembers a wool. She's like, oh, yeah, a wool, a uh, wool, whom you were talking about earlier, who died at the Tower of Joy in Eddard's group. He had been called Buckets. Bran says, oh, yeah, that's because that's their sigil. Three brown buckets on a blue field, a border of white and gray checks surrounding it. Lord Wool had come to Winterfell once, but while they may call him a lord... He isn't really technically a lord by his people. He's the wool, and the knots are similar. So are the Norries and the Littles.
0: I really like all the little mountain clans of the north. Their names are cute. They actually remind me of Hobbits? Question mark. Like just the names do. I don't know. They're very mm. Tolkien esque. What isn't really, truly, as I, Chloe, who have read three chapters of Lord of the Rings, could comment here. It's, it's sneaking up on you all. Someday it's going to be five. Someday it's going to be ten. You just keep listening and find out. Watch We've, out, people. <laughs> watch out for Chloe. We've been introduced to the Mountain Clans, the Vale, in the story, and we have not yet met the Northern Clans, right? This is really our biggest one-on-one meeting. And it's interesting how Westeros looks at the Vale Mountain Clansmen There's even a little bit, like, they're definitely different than the North clansmen. They're depicted as savage and, like, free folk, or as Westeros would say, they're more like wildlings in their eyes, but who cares what nobleborn people think, truly. The Northern clans kind of have a little more respect. They're treated like petty lords, like lower nobility, and they're generally referred to as clans with a clan leader or chief. So, like we learn here, he's called the wool. But all of them are, right? The nori, the not, they're all called the. And we actually see this bleed over with manse, right? The manse. And I almost, I don't know, I think it definitely seems to stem from First Man tradition, because you also have the Stark in Winterfell, which I do think that seems to have stemmed from it in a couple of ways. It makes me curious if this is like a First Man tradition that's been passed down. But the Mountain Clansmen in the North are literally just free folk born on the right side of the wall. That's all they are. They were born on the correct side of the wall, and you see them having kind of chiseled a life out for themselves under the North's rule. If you look at the free folk on the other side of the wall, there's really... I mean, the, we meet torment. we meet some of these characters through Jon's plot up close, and they're not that different, <laughs> in my opinion, right? Like, someone just plopped a wall between them all and they've gone from there Uh, the mountain clansmen in the north really live kind of on their own terms they check in if there's some crazy disagreement the northern lord calls them down and is like bang your heads together we're gonna get this shit done with and i'm gonna decide it for you but otherwise you don't hear from them much they live their own lives
1: it's like the berlin wall i guess you know Uh, and literally a cold war because it's
0: it's cold, cold up war. there.
1: No, I, I'm being serious. It's literally yeah. a Cold War. And I, I wouldn't be surprised if George was inspired. I mean, that was a pretty big thing that happened during his lifetime. And yeah, they're they're different in some ways, right? Like, for example, we see that there is a diversity of different cultures north of the Wall that varies by tribes, but mm-hmm. there is still, like, a lot of elements that tie them together with these mountain clans and with even some of the other northern lords, and uh, I, I have a few things to say about that later, but in regards to the The, right, the Stark and Winterfell, we see them apply it later on to The Ned, right? This sort of mm-hmm. article and, and what it entails in regards to leadership. And I forgot, I want to say someone like called it out as being inspired by maybe, or possibly inspired by a real world culture once on the subreddit, but I cannot remember that for any of you anymore. But yeah, it, it is... I kind of wonder if would the Mountain Clans in the Vale have developed differently and not been seen that way if not for the fact that their Lord, their Lord Paramount, became an Andal, right? Like that mm-hmm. they were conquered by the Andals, whereas here in the North, it, they retained that First man leadership.
0: I think that comes a lot off of the past, right, with the, the Andal conquering and the Battle of the Seven Stars. The Battle of the Seven Stars is one of their biggest things that happens in the Vale in history basically the premier historical battle during the andal invasion at the foot of the giant's lands. So I I think that's really interesting that that transition into andal culture definitely isolated them and pushed them away. And I do think coming back to it like I I would say the mountain clansmen are like tribal lords, really is what they're close to.
1: That's what it sounds like, right? They're they're still considered lords at Winterfall, which is so funny. But not, I guess amongst their people. mm mm-hmm. Mhm. So Jojen asks if the mountain folk know that they are there, and Bran says yes, actually. He had seen them while he was watching through Summer's eyes, but as long as they don't steal any of the mountain folk's things, they would not be bothered. They encountered mountain people only once, it was during a freezing rain, and Bran thinks that the person that they met was a little, wearing a squirrel skin cloak that fastens with a gold and bronze pinecone. Which is their sigil, and I mean, he's probably right, as we see that sigils can sometimes, just the clasps, can stand in for someone with a brand's, not brand's burnt body. Y'all know. And, I don't know, golden bronze seems pretty fancy. The Little and his company offer them oat cakes, blood sausages, and a swallow of ale, but never his name, nor theirs.
0: I love everything this scene stands for, because it's, like, the opposite of the broken man. It's how do you trust a stranger on the road? and what comes when you and a stranger trust one another, and what happens when you help your neighbor out and when you're able to give your neighbor something, right, that they need on the road. I just, it's very, it's nice to see, right, in the midst of all this war in the north that's just slowly bubbling up to the surface and bitches getting flayed and all that. It's a nice exchange.
1: It is. It reminds me a little bit of two biblical things in regards to the parable of the Good Samaritan, Mm. Right. The person who stops by and provides aid to that beat up person, even though a lot of other people who were supposed to help him did not. Also, that idea that what I'm going to I'm going to misquote this. But when Jesus said something like, you know, when you help your neighbor, like care for someone, the hungry or whatever, you are caring for me. Right. Cause I actually just really called know.
0: Jesus to fact check this, and you're wrong. Oh, thank you. Well, no, what, I'm just what, kidding. What was I'm just kidding. I didn't I, actually I do it. I said I was gonna misquote him. So yeah, I know. I just wanted to give you shit, but that's true. Like that, it's it's like in the name of the king's justice, right? When you do things in the name of the king, except the king's not a god, obviously, because that bitch dies.
1: Except for in this one, where maybe he a little, he is a little, maybe not a king, maybe a god emperor. Who knows? A <laughs> oh, worm. A <laughs> oh, worm. <laughs> uh so i have not tried oat cakes i would like to uh we are also a food podcast so we're going to talk about this i have never tried european style blood sausages but i am a big fan of korean style blood sausages i have I, i might have tried thai thai blood sausages it's definitely not filipino ones but there's one that is not that far from you chloe that i highly recommend that i love it's a at White Yak in Manayunk. It's okay. a Tibetan restaurant. Super good. Their blood sausage is got like it, it's also herbal. It's very good. I highly recommend.
0: I'm interested. Get the now. mung
1: bean jelly noodle things too. Those are so good.
0: I must say, Eliana has flown <laughs> to a different place. She is skin changed into a bird of a different feather, and she's gone from me. And I just wish she was here to order for me all the time. Damn. I know who to trust with my stomach. It's mm-hmm. you.
1: Yeah. yeah, this is a food podcast.
0: <laughs> Bran asks if it's far to the wall, and the not-so-little-little little says, not so far as the raven flies, farther for them as lax wings. I thought that was very interesting, like a little riddle on your way to go find your new Jedi well, maybe not Jedi, Sith Master, whatever you want to call him. Bran tries to say they should take the King's Road, and he's cut off by Mira, who finishes his sentence. She's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. We should take the King's Road. But the Little actually doesn't agree with Bran. He's like, I'm the goddamn prince. This is bullshit. Even the Anonymous Prince. The Little says, When there was a Stark at Winterfell, a maiden girl could walk down the King's Road in her name-day gown and still go unmolested. And the travelers could find fire, bread, salt at many an inn and hold fast. But the nights are colder now, and doors are closed. There's squids in the wolf's wood and flayed men ride the king road, asking after strangers. The reeds exchanged a look.
1: Flayed men? Said Jojen.
0: The bastards, boys. Aye. He was dead, now he's not. And paying good silver for whiffskins, a man hears. And maybe gold for word of certain other walking dead. He looked at Bran when he said that, and at Summer stretched out beside him.
1: So regarding doors being closed... The little talks about a Stark in Winterfell. It sounds like people had more of that sense of community and collective support throughout the North, not just for their immediate family, but for one another in general. And it sounds as though having the Stark in Winterfell, and especially Ned really encouraged this idea of the pack survives, not just for his immediate family, but for everyone in the North. And ideally, I'm sure he felt that way about everyone in Westeros. He probably did or would have, considering that he went all the way to the south for his friend Robert and did do that very nice thing for Cersei. We also have some wordplay, some mild foreshadowing here, right, about the bastard's boys and how he was dead but now he's not, uh, because, you know, Jon Snow, right? A bastard, motherless, Mm -hmm. damned, he is a bastard boy who is going to be dead and now not. And then finally I would like to say that the little, after he says all this stuff and then he looks at Bran and Summer... Like, I think that is peak comedy.
0: He's just like, hmm. He's like, interesting, because they're all standing right by me, all these people that are being sought.
1: Hmm. Yep, he's like, mm, why would he be looking for
0: that? For some wolfskins. <laughs> looks, looks, looks. I like what you've said about the North, though, because it's like living in hard mode, right? Like, you don't. <laughs> You don't just, like, (laughs) choose to live in the North. No one just chooses to live there, and it's like, if you lead the North, you have to understand it is a different land than the South, and there are different customs, and there are different ways to stay fucking alive with blizzards and snows, and there are great things and terrible things, and both of those can mate, if you will. Whoa! Both great and terrible things can mix together. It's a hard land and a hard people, as we've been told, and... I think that's another important part of having a leader in the North that understands that.
1: Absolutely. Brings everyone together. That's a, that's kind of good leadership. That's what, I guess, Mance accomplishes now that I think about it. Anyway.
0: Mm-hmm. I also love, you know, I love the quiet respect between travelers, right? The obvious secret mm-hmm. they share of being anonymous and that to survive, life is now that you must either go anonymous and move quickly and quietly in the night or face, you know, certain dangers, I also love that basically he's just saying, like, I'm dreaming of a smaller country life back in the day, like the olden days, like 2000, when you could leave your back door unlocked and no one was going to break in and steal your PlayStation and slaughter your hens, and, you know, the North used to stand for something, used to mean something. I appreciate that. I I liked that conversation. It was like, back in my day, the North mattered. Yeah, he really does feel that way, and... I mean, it's coming back to what we talked about a couple weeks ago, right? Like, that the North has watered down.
1: I'm not even sure he means, like, that far back, right? He means, like, a year ago. When your dad was alive, Bran. He did a great job. We loved him.
0: He's like, I didn't vote for him, but I guess he's fine enough. Yeah. (laughs) No one voted, by the way. Yeah,
1: no one voted. No one at all. They were like, Mm. I don't know, Brandon could have been good, too, but... He's dead. Yeah. so, So is this one. So is this one, so...
0: Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. So he continues on telling them, I wouldn't go to the wall. I don't know why he's southern now. And he says, the old bear went into the woods and only the ravens returned without message. Dark wings, dark words. He says that it was different when there was a Stark in Winterfell, but the old wolf's dead and the young ones gone south to play the Game of Thrones and all that's left us is the ghosts. And then we get one of my favorite exchanges. The wolves will come
1: again, said Jojen solemnly.
0: "And how would you be knowing, boy? Well oh, god, it's southern now. What is happening here? I dreamed it. Some nights I dream of me mother that I buried nine years past. But when I wake, she's not come back to us. There are dreams and
1: dreams, my lord.
0: Hodor, said Hodor. <laughs>
1: I actually want to say that I'm curious what Hodor means by agreeing here. I feel that Hodor has some sort of knowledge. No, I'm being very serious. I know you are. If anyone's experienced dreams versus dreams, it is Hodor who has been on the other end of one. (laughs) Okay. I will say a couple of fun things here, though, in regards to these lines of the all that's left us is ghosts. For example, maybe, I don't know, like ghost, the wolf but also all of these undead children, kind of like Bran right here. Not those other undead children, like Carsey's undead children. I mean, like Bran here. And it's like, this this is what we mean, right? This is what we are left with, that's what you mean? But also in regards to dreams of people coming back. Because this is in fact now a possibility for some of the characters in this series, as we will see at the end of this book, actually within this book with the Brotherhood. Like, I don't know. Yeah, I'm sorry your mother never never came back, Little, but Bran's mother is going to. She's going to die and come back at the end of this book, and some of the Stark children do in fact dream about her. So sorry that you are not a chosen one, Little, but speaking about the magicalness of being chosen ones, it is interesting that it's a Little, right, on the Mountain Clans whom you know, you were talking about how they, how they keep a lot of that First Men culture and tradition. Yet, it seems as though the Mountain Clans don't really seem to be keen or like tied to this belief of magic right We talked a little bit about that diversity of culture faith and belief amongst northerners on a broader level but it's interesting which where it gets lost over the years and amongst which which people
0: yeah there was something interesting Thunderclap had emailed us and he had a great handful of thoughts but he had actually mentioned was little maybe a try wannabe green seer and didn't make it. And I thought that was an interesting take on it because of the way he says, Some nights I dream of me, mother I buried nine years past, but when I wake, she's not come back to us. I don't think he's a dreamer, though, because we'll probably never talk to him in this book again. You know, maybe in Tiwau, maybe in A Dream of Spring, maybe not. Maybe he dies. Who knows? It's pretty cold out there. You know, that's, like.
1: Yeah, what does happen to him?
0: If you're cold, he's cold. Let him in. Is what <laughs> I'm saying. Let him
1: in. Unlock well, that sliding
0: glass door. You know? Let that is him in. how
1: the little felt about these kids. He's like, oh. If I'm cold, they're cold.
0: <laughs> Let them in. And that's the thing, though, is like, it's very funny that you're sitting here and you're like, well, maybe you're just not special, little, because I'm over here on the opposite end of the spectrum. And I'm like, dreams don't always save normal people in the night out in the cold in the north. Like, not everyone gets the call from the crow, like Brian, who has a journey and a reason to traverse through these horrible conditions. I think that's pretty important for the average northerner who doesn't get fucking dreams sent to them by a crow from, you know, a man that's attached to a tree. I think that's an important part of Bran's plot he's going to have to weigh. We have that Daenerys chapter right before this pretty much where she takes Eerie as a lover, and she takes Eerie as a lover, and Bran really struggles with taking things for himself or not as well so far.
1: Yeah, he starts getting to the point where he does but I guess part of it is like The people who are north of the wall, the free folk, who share similar culture, they've seen magic. It's literally trying to kill them. So they're like, yeah, I don't know. Dreams could be real too, right? Osha is one of those. Mm -hmm. And the mountain clans have not yet. Yet. (laughs) So they spend the night in the cave, avoiding the rain, but Summer wants to leave. When the fire dies, Bran lets Summer go, because rain doesn't really affect him the same as humans. He's got a big fuzzy coat On his body, and he needed to zoom. He's got zoomies.
0: All I can hear here throughout any of this is that, like, I can just hear Summer in the background going, zoom, 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 gotta zoom, gotta zoom, gonna run. Like, I just imagined Bran letting Summer out of the cave and going, all right, Summer, go on, go zoom. And Summer's going, zoom, 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 I'm gonna run. so.
1: I thought you were going to go zoom, 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 <laughs> I don't know, uh, uh, supernova girl yeah. from Xenon oh, girl of the oh. 21st century.
0: I should have, and I'm sorry that I didn't do that.
1: It, it's okay. It's we okay. can do it
0: again? Do you want me to? No, no,
1: no it's all right. The moment's
0: okay. passed. I do want to say that this, there's just beautiful imagery here. It's, there's this line, moonlight painted the wet woods in shades of silver and turned the gray peaks white Owls hooted through the dark and flew silently through the pines while pale goats moved along the mountainsides. Bran closed his eyes and gave himself up to the wolf dream, to the smells and sounds of midnight. Meanwhile in summer, zoom, 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 (laughs) get a zoom, get a zoom, (gasps) zooming around.
1: I guess it's cool, whatever, (laughs) zoom. In the morning, the little had gone, but left them sausage. A dozen oat cakes folded in green and white cloth, and some of the cakes had blackberries, some of them pine nuts. Bran ate one of each, and he wasn't sure which one he liked best.
0: If you don't miss it, though, green and white is the little house color. Just so you know. Just so you all know. It's a little.
1: Bran knows. Mira and Jojen did not, as diligently, I guess, study sigils, but that's not their job. That's Bran's job.
0: Homeschooling is different in the neck.
1: Yeah, and also, I mean, I guess they know how to not fall into a bog. And that seems important too. Has
0: the North even standardized tests? I don't know yet. I don't, I don't know. think
1: so. Probably not.
0: One day there would be Starks in Winterfell again, he told himself, and then he'd send for the littles and pay them back a hundredfold for every nut and berry.
1: Aw, oh, so sweet. You know it, he it, will, too. Oh, yeah. I do. I do. The last page it- of
0: the book better be that. Oh my
1: God! Turns out that's what George was referencing. You you were talking earlier about how Bran wants to protect his friends, right? He he wants to pay them back for the protection that they're giving him, and this is kind of an example of that. Bran really shows gratitude for the kindness that he receives. He doesn't really show entitlement to it when you come, especially when you compare it to another prince who's or king. So I'm sorry, he's a king right now. Joffrey, who expects to be wined and dined, right, as we see at the beginning of A Game of Thrones when he takes oh, Sansa out on that excursion. And dined. Oh, that's right. <laughs> wined and dined. More like wined and died. Died.
0: <laughs> Fucked around and found out. <laughs> yeah. That, yeah, he is the anti-Joffrey in this moment, right? This is how a prince, because at the time Joffrey was a prince during that time, that's he how a prince should behave graciously, not... Taking advantage of his constituents,
1: yeah, especially those who have less. So Brand has nothing right now. So
0: also, they do not get to vote again. Sorry, just Mm -hmm. making sure we're all clear.
1: I think that the North is kind of, in a way, sort of voting ish right now.
0: (laughs) Yeah, we don't vote for fucking ramsey That's for sure.
1: (laughs) They also do not vote for Theon. Do not forget that they did
0: not vote for Theon. We don't know who we vote for, but it's not them.
1: And not, not the Lannisters, also not them, so.
0: We're starting to run out of candidates. Starting to get, get out of candidates others. here. Not the Probably. others, fuck. <laughs> now we're really fucked. The trail they follow the next day is easier, and the sun starts to poke through. Bran takes a nap, and he's lulled by Hodor's steps, and Mira wakes him up to point out an eagle in the sky, floating in the wind, circling higher. Bran, of course, is jealous and he tries to reach the eagle himself, but the eagle vanishes off into the afternoon. So, this eagle stood out because we don't see a lot of eagles in the north, I feel like, anymore in chapters. I'm thinking this is Orel's eagle, especially because of those lines of intersection for plot as we get towards John. right? Especially with the next Bran chapter because Bran comes across John in the next chapter in his little plane. So I'm pretty sure this is Aurel's dead-ass spirit, because Aurel dies, this is before Varamir has conquered the eagle, and I thought it was interesting that Bran tries and is unable to shake Aurel out of the eagle, and I know obviously Bran is not experienced skin-changer, so he can't easily jump into birds yet, and later, right, when we get to A Dance with Dragons, a he's just birding all over the fucking place, but... It also brings up that age-old question of that physical body versus spirit, right? Like, what's stronger? What exists longer? And it makes me think of John, too, or even Rob, <laughs> uh, living in living without a physical body on in their animal.
1: Absolutely. It's it's kind of that sort of threefold reveal, right, that George likes to give. And this is one of—Oral's one of those examples of that, right? You start getting hints of, hey, maybe, maybe he is still there. And he is. He is still mm-hmm. in there. <laughs>
0: Yeah, you know John too. There's that chat in A Storm of Swords, or that chat, that thought where he he sees the eagle and it's Orel's bird, and he thinks, "Can a bird hate?" And some part of the man still remained within the eagle. He thinks, uh, and he, you know, he feels it. He like holds his face, and ugh, poor poor John with that eagle ripping his his face apart. And then you have John Ten where he speaks to Varamir. The skin changer was gray-faced, round-shouldered, bald, a mouse of a man with woofling's eyes. Once a horse is broken to the saddle, any man can mount him. Once a beast’s been joined to a man, any skin changer can slip inside and ride him. Orel was withering inside his feathers, so I took the eagle for my own. But the joining works both ways, Warg. Orel lives inside me now, whispering how much he hates you. And I can soar above the wall and see with his eagle eyes. So we haven't gotten to Verimir conquering Orel's eagle yet. Uh, but interesting if Bran had taken Orel into him. Ooh, there. That would have been very interesting if he had been able to conquer that bird. And if he does get a little infected by taking someone else's mount ever.
1: I kind of like the pettiness of, yeah. I hear Oral, he hates you. <laughs> and, <laughs> and also, you know what the saying is, right? It's coming back to what Jojen says. If ice can burn, then a bird can hate. That's
0: that's basically it, yeah.
1: That, that was what it said, then a bird can hate.
0: A bird can you, hate.
1: Uh, and, I mean, that horse broken, right? A little foreshadowing for Hodor, but.
0: <sighs> God, glossing over that. The wood dancers of the Children of the Forest were also said to have called on eagles to fight on their behalf, which I thought was interesting and burb-related when it comes to Bran in general.
1: Ah, uh, I forgot that. And also, it reminds, didn't we have, like, a similar eagle sort of reference mm-hmm. or joke last chapter? It, it kind of feels in the, like another one of those Lord of the Rings things.
0: Tolkien-esque.
1: <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: <sighs> Three chapters in, Ken confirmed. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely.
1: Close an expert. Oh IMQ, I am watch, too. I watch the movies. So Miro promises they'll see others, and then Hodor, Hodor's, and then Bran, Hodor's as well in agreement. And Jojen remarks that Hodor seems to like it when you say his name, and Bran explains, well, his name's not actually Hodor, it's it's Waldor, right? When we talk about Waldor on Walter crimes, Hodor's involved.
0: He likes when you say Hodor, though, and if it stands for hold the door... Which it probably does. He's like, okay, I'll hold it. Right now, is it time for me to go? <sighs> Bran wonders if old Nan was okay, remarking- another person that's probably gonna be dead- uh, remarking, she never hurt anyone, she only told stories. Would Theon hurt her? Jojen says, some people hurt others just because they can. And Mira tries to comfort by saying, it wasn't Theon doing the killing at Winterfell. Too many dead people were Iron Men, and no one likes him. Okay, but Theon did do quite a bit
1: of killing. There was killing done by Theon, (laughs) first of all. Second, Theon, you know, it's a fascinating exploration that we get in A Song of Ice and Fire. Why do people hurt other people? It's not always right, and I think George likes to explore how people get to those motivations. Not justifying them, but how people get to that point. The Broken Man speech is a lot about that. Sometimes people, they, they do it because they feel they are lacking something, right? And they don't necessarily know or always care. And what I'm trying to get at here is why why would someone hurt people? Some people hurt others just because they can. And there's a power aspect of that. And again, I, I just feel like, I, I don't know, I can't stop talking about it. I should probably stop. For me, it comes back again to, I mean, Bran hurting Hodor. That's what he's doing, right? Because it's not right, but also... George wants you to see how he gets to that point.
0: Mm-hmm. I, I think it's more, and maybe this is just from our linear, our not linear reads of this story too, but we haven't actually gotten there yet. So yeah. I think it's more, it's foreshadowing that's to come realistically.
1: I agree. I agree. And I, I I bring it up all the time, but.
0: It yeah, just like, we aren't even there so yet. He hasn't even done it yet, Eliana. Can you just calm but it down? It just, it just, it just, not how him. we get
1: there. I'm not mad. I just, like, think it's interesting, you <sighs> know, how we. She's just
0: disappointed.
1: No, I think it's interesting. It's part of Brand's story. It's not right, but that's the point, you know? Mm-hmm. You can love something and hate something at the same time. They're mountains. And also, uh, this is hilarious to me, when Brand says, yeah, I don't know, I think old Nan was like Hodor's grandmother's grandmother. And I'm like, Bran, how old do you think old Nan is?
0: Yeah, right. <laughs> Definitely like, well, I mean, great-grandmother maybe at most, but not great great. Agreed.
1: Yeah, <laughs> like I think that's a little
0: too far back. I will say though, I think it's important that that's that he like even like fucks it up and says that because then you get to the Blood Raven reveal eventually and understanding mm-hmm. who the Three Eyed Crow is now that it's been gardened in and what generation she comes from is from way back in the day when trees <laughs> walked the earth. I mean, Blood Raven walked the earth. Yeah, absolutely. <sighs> The saddest, oh god, there's so many great little sad banger quotes here. Remember old Nan's stories, Bran. Remember the way she told them. The sound of her voice. So long as you do that, part of her will always be alive in you. I'll remember, he promised. Promise me. Aw. Promise me. Promise me. <sighs> they climb and climb and eventually Bran asks, do you have any stories? And they laugh and say a few, and he says he wants a story about knights.
1: There are no knights in the neck, Jojen says. His sister corrects him and says, Above the water, the bogs are full of dead ones. Jojen calls them Freys, fools, ironmen, proud warriors who could not conquer Grey Water and thus drown in their steel. We have this line of, The thought of drowned knights under the water gave Bran the shivers. He didn't object, though. He liked the shivers.
0: Bran, you sicko. (laughs) What is this? Like 50 AC or whatever? Okay, Bran. This kind of stood out for me
1: because of the way that he says he liked the shivers. And I don't think George thought of this until later, probably. But it makes me think of Jaehaerys and Alysanne's first child, who was also named Adanares, And she died of an illness
0: called the shivers. She got a little bit too cold in the winds of winter. It made me think of that. It also made me think of dead things in the water. Mm. From the Hard Home letter coming up.
1: Ooh, things are going to be bad in this deck. I haven't thought about that. Are they all going to just swoop <laughs> out of the water?
0: I hope not. Oh my God. I mean, what if the, the Night's King does the, the shimmy thing and brings them? Wait, that's just the show. But what if Euron does the shimmy thing and.
1: They all swim out? I mean, you know. I've talked already. I've already given my spiel on bogs being dangerous. Don't fuck around in bogs, people.
0: Again, I can barely stand up straight sober. So, a bog? Eh. Uh, Mm-mm. Uh. Mm-mm.
1: So then Mira tells the story of the only knight that they know, who maybe was even a kranigman, Maybe not. The knight of the laughing tree in the year of the false spring. Jojin thinks that Bran must have heard this one a hundred times, but turns out Bran hasn't. And even if he had, old Nan used to say that Old stories are like old friends. You have to visit them from time to time. Uwu.
0: And so the tale begins, a curious lad once lived in the Neck. Small like all Cranog men, but brave, smart, and strong, too. He learned all the magics of the Cranog people, though he didn't have green dreams. He could breathe mud and run on leaves, change earth to water and water to earth with no more than a whispered word. He could talk to trees and weave words and make castles appear and disappear. I love the language here. Uh, then it goes on to say, but he wanted more, you know, and I just.
1: I want more.
0: That's funny. You go, Ariel, I was thinking Belle. Oh, they're similar. <laughs> yeah, very similar. Similar. We both went for an I want song. Oh, we both I went for Disney,
1: it. I was thinking. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that too. a big
0: princess I want song, and that's what Howland Reed woke up on the day of his 16th birthday and said, he's like, I can't live like this. Sparkly-eyed, bushy-eyed. I love the way his skills are described here. They're kind of described magically, and from what we know of the Cranog men, they're not unalike kind of some of the Dornish men in that they use guerrilla tactics, right, and they kind of use tactics that give them advantages over the land, and give them advantages where they may have disadvantages. Some of it's magic, but some of it seems to be illusion, too. Like, breathe mud. He's just really good at being able to be low in the mud without swallowing a bunch of it, probably. Let's be real. Uh, some of it, I think, is a li- You know what I mean? Like, some of it is a little bit of an illusion between what it actually is, but... Definitely some of it feels magical, and there is language that reminds me of something from the Bible, Peter 2, 3, 5 to 10, but they deliberately forget that long ago, by God's word, the heavens came into being, and the earth was formed out of water and by water. And it brings me back to something we've talked about a little bit, uh, a little courtesy of Manu over at the Nauticast about the Hammer of the Waters. The Hammer of the Waters being the powerful magic used to fight against the First Men by the Children of the Forest at the climax of centuries-long wars, and the devastation it causes turns the Neck into bogs and swamps. Like, this is what actually turned the Neck into what it is, and it led to a peace between the people for thousands of years. And with that said, it's interesting that he is able to change Earth to Water and Water to Earth. If that is a Cranog magic ability and he learned to be able to do that, that's very interesting to be able to use water to crash earth.
1: Yeah. Part of me so part of me, I thought it was literal, but the idea that it's an illusion is interesting because we do learn about glamours. Do you think that they might be glamours and not just physical like kind of like tricks, sleights of the hand?
0: I do think that the castle appearing and disappearing is probably some sort of glamour. Some sort mm. of ancient Children of the Forest glamour. Because I was thinking about it, because running on leaves and breathing mud, which implies that he is probably a good climber and able to go from tree branch to tree branch and run on the leaves. Yeah. I'm like, I can run on leaves. Howland. That's not very impressive. <laughs> I can true, go outside actually. right now. <laughs> That's a good so point. So to me, I-, I took that as being in the in the trees and being one with the trees and with the land, and breathing mud, being able to traverse through the muddy bog without being detected or being slowed down or eating mud, which can be detrimental, I hear. And the changing earth to water, water to earth is interesting. And talking to trees, we already know that one. Weaving words, Mm -hmm. making castles appear and disappear, that's very interesting.
1: The weaving words kind of stands out to me in terms of spells, and also you were talking about the power of a word, right?
0: Mm -hmm. And...
1: That is kind of what the story is about on a meta level, right? The power of a word, the power of narrative in terms of what you can make people believe in, I mean, in this, right? Or the power of lies, stories. That's why it matters who, if you call someone a king, right? You turn someone into a king. That's just a word, right? But somehow that's powerful. But it also makes me think of this mechanic or this power or whatever called from dungeons and dragons uh there was i think spells that were called power words especially like i think lich kings are famous for having power word kill and i don't know other magic users so kind of wonder if there's something with that too because george is into that i guess
0: oh that's true no that's absolutely true <laughs>
1: huh. i don't know uh but yeah know. that's true i hadn't thought about that you're right i could run on leaves
0: yeah, it's not that fucking impressive. I think Helen, and he needs to chill on what he presents to his daughter as cool. Mira, <laughs> I will protect you. We're not men.
1: Yeah, you're a little too tall. <laughs> <laughs>
0: That's from her so- mom.
1: Granting men seldom travel far from home, but this one, as you said, wanted more, and was. turns out he was often treated unkindly by the bigger people. Oh, reminds me a little of Penny and stuff. But this lad was bold, and when he reached manhood, he decided to visit the Isle of Faces and find the green men. He donned his bronze scale shirt, took up a shield and spear, and paddled his boat down the green fork.
0: This kind of made me wonder, do you think that not only did he give Mira his helm, but maybe his frog spear too? His best frog spear and maybe even his best scale shirt.
1: I do think so. I think that's kind of the implication in the story because they're like, she's like, he wore a shirt a lot like mine, a spear just like mine. I'm like, is it just like it because it is
0: that one? <laughs> I think so because this, I, I, and I'm serious, this is the entire mood is that this is passed down. Stories are passed down, things are passed yes. down, traditions are passed down through these families and through these people and through their cultures. This story alone starts off with a very important cultural story for the Cranog men. Yeah, because words and stories have power. God, stories it's are powerful. Made of words. Yeah. Not all stories, sometimes well, they're powerful. most visual, stories like, are, yeah. A lot, of I mean, them, words yeah. are in those too
1: i don't know sometimes it's just pictures silent Mm. films but yeah Mm -hmm, whatever whatever we're not that advanced um unless go to like i don't know look at I mean words are
0: still technically involved in silent movies and that you make words in your head about them but i digress and sometimes they have words on the screen they have captions you know what i mean yeah yeah. anyways tangential anyways
1: we we, whatever we did that
0: (laughs) many days later howlin meets the green men but mira says that's another story not for her to tell Hmm. Since this story is about knights, and we fast forward to when that winter broke, and he left the isle and rode and rode until he saw great towers rising behind a beside a lake, the greatest castle in the world, Harrenhal. brand guesses, was it? Mira smiles again, so coy. <laughs> I don't know, was it? <laughs> I love how coy they're playing through the story, and it's perfect because yeah. you can just imagine her walking along, going, "Was it?" Anyways, as I was saying, also. This kind of implies we're going to get the story about when he met the Green Men from Howland someday, in my opinion.
1: I feel like we will, and also, how long was he there? He must have learned a lot of stuff, because, you know, if I say I stayed somewhere for a winter, I'm like, that was, I don't know, four months tops, right? When he says he stayed yeah, a winter, I'm like,
0: oh, was that like two years? How long were you there? That's a long-ass time. I have kind of had canon just because I have spent an extensive amount of time thinking about where and when Howlin' Reed did things during the Rebellion for no reasons anyways, and they weren't done alongside Ashara timeline. But anyways, so I have maybe spent an extensive amount of time thinking about it. And I kind of think it was probably two years until he was 18, right? He left at manhood at 15, 16, probably left 17, 18.
1: All I know is it's longer than when I would have spent a winter somewhere.
0: (laughs) Well, and why I say that is because George has put out like a a rough when they were born kind of thing. He's Mm -hmm. answered a question about how old they would be, and they would be in their like mid thirties, I think. Just like
1: us. Oh, well, me, not you. Like you,
0: I'm not an old hag yet. Give me a few years, God. (laughs) it's coming for me I'm not gonna stay young and beautiful forever so I gotta get my good years out now
1: I mean Catelyn Stark is apparently still young and beautiful until she's dead
0: just curdled pudding pussy
1: then she's young and I don't know sounds like she might still be kind of hot in a different way anyway
0: (laughs) you know jocks like the goth girls and we like Catelyn So a great tourney took place with
1: bright colors, champions from across the land, and even the king and his son, the Dragon
0: Prince. Stream all four seasons on Netflix right now.
1: Yes, yes. I mean, nothing is safe. I know that they said it was renewed, but please, nothing is safe. Please, please, please please stream this for me.
0: Stream the Dragon Prince.
1: It's also amazing, you know, talking about stories that teach you about complexity of of characters and, and and things not being just black and white. You can tell that
0: some of the people that work on The Dragon Prince like great fantasy works like A Song of Ice and Fire. That's all I'm going to say about it.
1: Yep. Sorry. While we're still standing it, it's also from one of the writers that worked on Avatar The Last Airbender. So if you liked that show, go check out The Dragon Prince.
0: Also, The Dragon Prince, if you want to sponsor us, reach out to us at girlsgonecanon at gmail.com for any inquiries. Thank you.
1: (laughs) They need all the budget they can get to give me the
0: fifth season. I do not
1: have, I'm worried about Netflix. Okay. <laughs> Dragon Prince do not don't sponsor us. us. I know. I never say this, but do not sponsor us, <laughs> Dragon Prince.
0: Okay. Uh, different Dragon Prince, though. We're talking about Rhaegar, but yes, the Dragon Prince was there. The Kingsguard also came to welcome a new brother to their ranks. The Storm Lord was there, the Rose Lord, The Great Lion of the Rock stayed away, quarreling with the king, but many of his men attended. Now this is easy mode, everyone at home. For you that are keeping up, these lords right now, easy mode, get ready. They're coming at you fast soon. The Cranog Man had never seen such pageantry and wanted nothing more than to be a part of it. Bran remembers how much he wanted to be a knight, too. Aww. The Daughter of the Great Castle reigned as Queen of Love and Booty, and five champions swore to defend her crown. The Kettleblacks, I mean, the Wents. sorry, four brothers of Harrenhal, and a famous uncle, a white knight of the Kingsguard, also a Went. She was fair, but there were fairer ladies yet there. The wife of the Dragon Prince, and a dozen of her companions. The knights all begged for their favors to tie around their lances. Bran starts to get suspicious at this point about this being one of those love stories and reminds Jojen that Hodor actually likes the stories about the knights fighting the monsters, so you know. And Jojen says, sometimes the knights are the monsters, Bran. Which, wasn't this around when Gregor got knighted, I mean, Mm -hmm. by Rhaegar Targaryen himself?
1: Actually, literally, yeah, that's part of it. Gregor plays into the story, you know, and finding out that the knights are sometimes the monsters is part of his sister, Santa's story, a big part of that, as well as, uh, you know, the start of how Bran came to be the way that he is right now.
0: Yeah, major themes in the story.
1: So the Kranigman gets th- thrown in a locker by three squires, maybe a little swirly in there too, right? They beat him to the ground and call him a frog eater, and Bran wonders he's like, mm, that sounds like a Walder's, right? Or no, he thinks about that they sound like the Walder's. And the Kranigman remembered the squire's faces so that later he could take vengeance. Mm, very the North remembers, if you will. As they beat him up, a wolf made, and Bran's like, wait, 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 hold on, I need some clarification here. Do you mean like a wolf on two legs or a wolf on four legs? Because those lines are blurry for me right now. We get clarification. A wolf made on two legs comes to protect him. That's my father's man you're kicking. Lays into them and then takes the crannyman back to the wolf's den where she nurses his cuts and bruises and introduces him to her pack of brothers. We've got a wild wolf. Brandon. A quiet wolf. Ned. And the youngest pup.
0: Benjamin.
1: The two-legged wolf maid, Liana, Liana, <laughs> insists that the Kranigman, Howland, stay with them and attend the feast for the open of the tourney, that he has as much right as all the rest of the nobles to be there. So I thought it was kind of funny that, you know, one of them is described as the quiet wolf. It makes me think also of Ghost the The wolf that literally makes no noises, therefore, is the quiet wolf, and how John is in many ways actually Ned's son spiritually, even though he might be the dragon prince's son. He's, he's the quiet wolf.
0: Yeah, he definitely adapted and adopted Ned's nature and took that on—that very solemn nature, mm-hmm. that serious nature, that serious.
1: And and the Lord's kiss.
0: Wow. <laughs> And exhibitionism, if you take the yeah. last couple chapters here and the next couple chapters. My God, that's John. A, just that's fucking, a great point. Just fucking in the camp. My God.
1: Being into redheaded women. Yep.
0: Everyone's like, we all heard you. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and he's like, good. No, he didn't say that. He's like, mm, quiet wolf, not a quiet wolf
0: anymore, right? Speaking of women with ferocity in this story, she was not easy to refuse, this wolf maid, so he let the young pup find him garb suitable to a king's feast, and went up to the great castle. Under Heron's roof, he ate and drank with the wolves and many of their sworn swords besides, barrowed in men and moose and bears and mermen. The dragon prince sang a song so sad, it made the wolf maid sniffle, but when her pup brother teased her for crying, she poured wine over his head. A black brother spoke, asking the knights to join the night's watch. The Storm Lord drank down the night of skulls and kisses in a wine cup war. The Cranogman Man saw a maid with laughing purple eyes dance with a white sword, a red snake, the Lord of Griffins, and lastly, with the Quiet Wolf. But only after the Wild Wolf spoke to her on behalf of a brother too shy to leave his bench. Amidst all this merriment, the little Cranogman Man spied the three squires who'd attacked him. One served a pitchfork knight. One a porcupine, while the last attended a knight with two towers on his surcoat, a sigil that all Cranog men know well.
1: The phrase, said Bran, the phrase of the crossing.
0: Then, as now, she agreed. The wolf maid saw them too and pointed them out to her brothers. I could find you a horse and some armor that might fit, the pup offered. The little Cranog man thanked him, but he gave no answer. His heart was torn. Cranog men are smaller than most, but just as proud. Aww. I love that. I love I love them. I love the stars. Yeah. God, I'm a filthy Stark lover. I'm so sorry. Filthy.
1: I don't know why. There's something about a lot of now that this language and, and people belonging, right, and deserve, being deserving of respect as they talk about the Cranog men being just as proud. It, it makes me think of Tyrion, too, and how he's treated. Yeah. That's all. That night... The Kranigmen prayed to the Old Gods and the Neck, staring at the Isle of Faces, and then came to the tourney. Five days of jousting, a seven-sided melee, archery, axe-throwing, singers, Coachella, you know, as as we've discussed about tourneys.
0: And of course, Jojen stops and says, you never heard this tale from your father? Bran says, it was old Nan who told the stories. Mira, go on, you can't stop there. I kind of wonder, like, are
1: Mira and Jojen, like, low-key offended? Like, are you sure? You you really never heard this one?
0: This is, like, the story of our dad's falling in bro love. Like, what do you mean he never talked about it?
1: Yeah, they're like, what the fuck? Why would Ned not talk about his best friend? We He
0: missed his life. I do think, maybe not offended, but, like, shocked? Surprised? Yeah. It's also gauging what he knows, which is very important, probably, for them, because... This story means so much more than there was a mystery night. It explains why Howland is so intimately tied to the Starks, how the Starks treat Howland there at that tourney, and how they raise him up, and his family, right, and, and just that friendship and what it means to him, and, I don't know, I, I feel like there's so much to this story that's like, also, Bran, everything that happened this day, this week, at this tournament is why the world is the way it is right now. Like, why we're all here. It's why, you know, Robert was king. It's everything. I mean, this story encapsulates a lot of his youth that he doesn't understand necessarily yet.
1: Yeah, it's the myth for how his father came to be, how he is, and his family, and why there are so few Starks, right? Why is there no Stark
0: in Winterfell anymore? A lot of them died. (sighs) Yeah. A lot of things were different back then at the tourney and at the feast. And if you break down the Harrenhal feast, right? At Harrenhal, Howland eats with the Starks and their sworn bannermen. And this really stood out to me this time in the context of the Northern Houses vying for fair, just Ned's attention. You have House Dustin. Willem Dustin, Barbary's husband, goes south with Ned and dies. And it kind of makes you think, in a way, Bran's first chapters of the war, right? When Ned's gone, Rob has gone south. Bran is unexpectedly ruling, exactly as Ned was left after his brother Brandon and his father go south. They go south. They do not return. Ned is unexpectedly left ruling. Quiet, sad, solemn. Lost his family, has to go off to war. Lord Dustin must have been somebody Ned could trust uh, as a family friend, as his father's friend. Lord Dustin was probably off and around. Maybe even someone that was similar to, like, how Roderick could have been with Bran. They must have ruled really closely together in that beginning as they went down south to war if he went with him to the Tower of Joy. He was definitely trusted. Yeah. <laughs> it's really sad, I have thought actually. much about
1: him before, but yeah, definitely, I mean...
0: It explains why Barbary's so fucking mad.
1: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know. but, I mean, I guess that man chose to go himself, right?
0: <laughs> yeah, that's true. House Hornwood is there, who is... Was pretty supportive of the Starks and is now, unfortunately, destroyed. Kind of ironic Dang. and sad when we look at it here. Like, oh, they were there. They were a celebrated northern house standing with Rickard and his family. Uh, house Mormont was there.
1: This must be a different one, right? Because it can't be Jor. It can't be Mm-mm. Jorah, so.
0: It must be someone else. It makes me curious. I would love to see Mage Mormont hanging out at the tourney at Hall, though. Just for funsies. She would have been... Younger, She would
1: have had so much fun.
0: Oh my god, she would have been in the axe-throwing competition or something. She
1: would have loved the drama.
0: She would have kicked ass. Uh, House Manderly is also there. So again, staunch support from House Stark of the houses that we see there. Rhaegar sings a song that makes Lyanna tear up. Is it Jenny's song? Probably Jenny's song, especially with Arya meeting the ghost of Hall.
1: Mm, Literally a
0: couple chapters ago, in her asking for her Jenny's song coming up, I would guess Rhaegar played Jenny's song to make Lyanna cry. And when Benjen teases her, she pours wine on his head. Black Brother speaks, asks knights to join the North. Robert drinks down with Richard Lawnmouth, who is Lem Lemoncloak. Please go read Lady Gwyn's essay on it. It's like a formative theory on it, and you should definitely read it. Howland watches Ashara Dane. He points out she has laughing eyes. Just so you know, every other person in this story has never commented on her eyes being laughing. They only speak on her eyes being haunting or causing them guilt. Chew on that for a little bit. And then, because Howland has memorized the order of Ashara's dance card and still remembers it to this day in order of who she danced with, She danced with a white sword, which could have been Barristan or Arthur, Oberyn Martell, John Connington, and Ned after Brandon asks for him. Very interesting. Very interesting to break it down and think about it in perspective. I can't believe Howland has remembered that for so long.
1: Yeah, he must love retelling it, right? Like, babe, babe. (laughs) Or like telling the kids, kids, your mother is a hottie. Let me tell you.
0: I mean, that's... That's literally, this entire chapter is How I Met Your Mother. You know, that's really what it is. Oh, you're right. It's it is. literally, the story is in that, kids, is How I Met Your Mother. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, I think that's true of this. In it, there's That's a lot why of they heard it stuff. so many times. Yeah. Well, that's the thing is it's like, to me, it sounds like one of those stories of like, Mom, Dad, can you tell us about when you met again?
1: It's happy for them, but I guess for Ned, it's like, mm-hmm, I'm not going to tell you about
0: my whole family died. <laughs> I do think that's a part of it. For them, it's like this happy story that they could carve out a little piece of survival, right? A little piece of like home and a little piece of stability. But for Ned, it's the story of the his family all dying. It's the story of trauma. It's a story of why he kept his family within the walls of Winterfell for fucking, you know, fifteen years without sending them out anywhere else to foster, or without socializing outside of the confines of their it's those gates of trauma that kept him and everything else in, but they kept everyone safe. And it goes back to like you were saying about Bran. He told Bran that there is a world to look out for and to look forward to, and there are things that are great and people that can be great to you. And that's it. Because he never expected them to leave.
1: Well, and he didn't expect to die that early either, probably.
0: Well, who the fuck does? You no. Know? Uh, I think does? some...
1: I'm trying to think. There are definitely people who do in the story. Like, uh, Jamie seems like he might think that he could die early. He doesn't. Until until now, right? Um, Who else? Hold
0: my beer, Jamie. Hold my beer. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, that's true. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I love Liana pouring wine on Benjen. It's a favorite. Yes. Ultimate <laughs> Arya hours. Right. But in the same story, we get... Her turning around and being like, oh, Howland, my brothers would definitely give you all of their clothes so we can get vengeance on these men. Don't worry, I already have it dialed in, which to me is very Sansa, right? Like, that's very, like, princessly, like, oh, Howland, don't worry, we're already exacting a total plan for revenge, and I've told my brothers that they will need to be covering A, B, C, and D in order for this plan to happen. Very princessly. I love the the dual sides of Lyanna here of showing both of those roles. I wouldn't ever yeah. want, like, we've talked about this. I don't want the Rebellion yes. on a screen unless George mm-hmm. has put the details out in books. I do not want that. And even then, I think that it does a lot. It tells a lot of story by omission and by not telling story, which is, I mean, that's a kink of mine for books. I love when a story does that. That that gets my little book goat, gets my little wheels a-turning, but there is something charming about the idea of these teenagers like in their tourney tent doing stupid teenage things in the heat of the night and pacing around trying to figure out how to get vengeance on assholes and total teen dramedy love stories everywhere. There's something very charming about it. Nothing like a tourney to get the blood hot, we say.
1: Yeah, maybe it's like best told through gossip, which is kind of what it is, like what all of these are. Like, let me tell you about this yeah. gossip from... <laughs> Sixteen years ago, it's still hot.
0: That's how good it was. It's hard because Aswaf, literally speaking, literary speaking, it, it gets me like that. Like George knows how to write. Whether you're reading World of Ice and Fire, Fire and Blood, and A Song of Ice and Fire, right? And you have different POVs or different ways and slants things might have been written. There's something that George does that gets me real good. That he doesn't ever give us the goddamn truth. And here I am, week after week with yeah. you george what's the truth
1: but i agree i don't want a, a an adaptation or an objective one right i want a sort of rashomon-esque i, I like the, which is what we're getting mm-hmm. i like the rebellion told within the context of the story
0: yeah especially bringing that knights being knights are the monster to the front during mm-hmm. this because of i mean the tourney's sold as a sexy thing but everything that was happening behind the scenes wasn't Right? It's a little spot on for this story's Star Knight, but like Jamie is the knight at the centerfold of some of this because he is being made a Kingsguard this weekend. It's in partial celebration for him. And it's, let's be real, it's also Ares flaunting a lot of it, especially with Tywin refusing to come around hysterically, even though it's kind of hinted at there was a richer benefactor to it because. Hall couldn't hold this tourney, and someone gave a lot of gold for this tourney to happen. Who knows who has a lot of gold? But, Jamie takes his vows, and the drama hap- I mean, the drama happening here is literally amazing. Like, Jamie drama. Eris trauma drama. There's drama in every fucking area. And of course, Jamie here is a young boy being turned into a knight, and now he's a young man, and he's got sparkling eyes, much like Bran would want. And he's a young man who is going to make some very questionable choices, much like Bran is. We all become the knight or the monster, apparently, in the end. I don't know. Or both. Yeah. And you have to be the
1: knight who slays the monster inside of you. And... Oh my god. <laughs> uh, yeah, it, it's kind of funny. You know, you're talking about Ares, right? We find out Ares wasn't supposed to go. You're talking about the the benefactor because uh, Jamie also is like... Uh yeah, we find out in this book that he's like. Turns out, uh, Ares did that to piss off my dad, so that kind of tainted my my welcome party. And also, Aries showed up. He wasn't supposed to, and everyone's like, "Oh my god, we didn't invite her." Maleficent is
0: here. <laughs> it's amazing. It's truly amazing. Uh, it's like Gossip Girl. Actually, a little. See, that's what I would if they chose to remake the turning at heron hall into a gossip girl style adaptation i'd be into it but let's come back to that another another time i i I I gotta workshop that
1: i agree i I would
0: watch if it was on the cw i would watch it
1: (laughs) oh you know maybe that's the problem that it's not i mean the cw cw shows i know people hate on them but they've got a special kind of magic to them
0: david and dan could do game of thrones but they could never do gossip girl
1: oh agreed
0: Ryan Condal could do Hot D, but he could never do Gossip Well, maybe, but I don't think he could. He probably couldn't do Gossip Girl.
1: I don't think so. I don't think he could. No. No.
0: <sighs> All the defenders of Hall's Queen of Love and Beauty are defeated on the very first day, and the Conquerors are vanquished. By the end of day one, the Porcupine Knight wins a place in the championship. The second morning, the Pitchfork Knight and the Knight of Two Towers win too. But- in the lists on the second day during the afternoon, a mystery challenger approaches.
1: Wow. A mystery
0: knight. Bran knows all about mystery knights. The dragon knight winning as the knight of tears to name his sister Queen of Love and Booty instead of the king's mistress. <laughs> Ferris in the Bolt donning a disguise at only 10 years old twice. Twice. Bran knows about these knights, and he is sitting there, he's like, ugh. He does something my dad does. My dad likes to guess things, and he's always wrong when he does it in shows, so like Jon Snow shit. He was like, oh, huh, huh, this is going to happen, and he was totally wrong while watching Game of Thrones. It's great. It's really entertaining. Maybe not for others who actually haven't seen the show, though. Bran is like, the crayonog man's the night. I bet the crayonog man's the night. And Mira's like, a little coy. She's like, Maybe. It could have been him. The knight was short, wearing ill-fitting armor, pieced together, carrying a shield with a heart tree of the old gods, a white weirwood with a laughing face. Bran's like, oh, I bet the old gods sent him. And Mira's like, perhaps they did, Bran.
1: Perhaps they did. And there's a lot of this, right, that plays into Bran thinking he knows what's going to happen next is because he's used to what the stories have told him, right? He's going off the tropes of what's supposed to happen and turns out we can't trust that in a song of ice and fire but also going off of i mean it 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 speaks a little to the ideas of chivalric romances right mystery knights they're all over the chivalric romances you know like the stories of the green knight etc the other green knight not this one not not these (laughs) green people Uh, confusing but obviously you can see the influence i i do like liana telling seeking that sort of revenge right because i do believe that liana is the the knight of the laughing tree and embodies that belief that lords should protect their vassals right even if the Crannogmen men is like you know whatever i'm gonna let it slide she's like nah we're getting revenge and also that people deserve respect and she might not be the lord she might not be the one inheriting but she steps into that role of leadership as we were discussing earlier Assume whether or not the old gods sent this knight. I mean, I don't know. Yes and no. There's a way you can interpret it of like, did the old gods send Lyanna? Not like literally, but it's kind of interesting to think about, especially if it leads to parts of, I don't know, the Song of Ice and Fire being born. It feels very magical. But also speaking of magical princes and births, the assumption Bran makes that the Knight of the Laughing Tree is the kranigman and I mean, part of it is because Mira and Jojen Part of the fun of the story is they keep using the word he, right? It it's a little reminiscent of the prophecy of the prince that was promised. Everyone always assumes it is a prince because that's what it says in the common tongue, right? It's just like assuming that the knight of the laughing tree is as a knight is a man.
0: Well, the Sphinx is the riddle, not the riddler, right? Yes. I mean I think that I, I literally think that might be a cute wink and a nod from George to kind of encompass a lot of the text and I love that Liana gets like a dunk moment, right? Like this is her dunk moment. This is her, are there no true knights among you moment. I love the way that it's dealt with.
1: Also that she was dunking on these people.
0: Yeah, and dunking with that tree on her shield too. Mm -hmm. I mean, that also is uh, a mystery night. A mystery night appears. And George was very much so playing in both worlds right now. This is around when the rest of these novellas are being written in the background from night of the seven kingdoms so far and he loves a good mystery night especially now that we know <clears throat> blood raven is absolutely tied into this plot and is tied into that story as well i like that it serves as that moment for the rebellion what they're fighting for right it's not just liana beaten up some knights that their squires were mean which is important teach them honor but then you look at the oppression coming from Eris at the same time, and it's a small act in the midst of a lot of bullshittery that's going on. It does make me wonder with what you're saying about who knows if the old god sent her or not, maybe, maybe. What did Howland learn on the Isle? And how did he put some of this into play? I do think that he had to have learned something on the Isle and came to this tourney with a bigger mission or with some things that he knew he should do and i don't know i know we talk sometimes about magic in this story deriving from certain places if he learned something on the aisle that made him come here and push a meeting or push what he was doing or his agenda then what about rhaegar's dreams we know that he had some certain dreams that may or may not have been dragon dreams that may or may not have been him learning about prophecy learning about a prophecy You know, he woke up one day, decided he wanted to be a warrior or that he needed to be a warrior, not wanted to be, needed to be. So where does that crux coincide, right? Like, if you have the old gods machinating or somebody utilizing the resources and tools of the old gods and you have dragon dreams also machinating, I love that this tourney becomes the kettle pot for where they meet in the middle.
1: Absolutely. It's it's meat in the middle. It's not just a kettle pot. It's a powder keg.
0: Well, that's just the powder keg calling the Kettle Black.
1: Oh my gosh.
0: (laughs) 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 Speaking of Kettle Blacks. Speaking of. So earlier I mentioned that this chapter alone has spawned what, like, countless analysis and theorizing and given just so much room for people to discuss and analyze it. And one of my favorite theories, and when I say one of my favorites, look, I read a lot of Ice and Fire theories. In 2014, 2015, I read anything that I could. If it was on Reddit, if it was like, you know, a theory here. I was Googling. I was everywhere. I wanted to know more about theories. And there's a theory by King Littlefinger on Reddit. It's actually really funny. I quoted it in an essay a long time ago, something that I really liked. And he responded, and he's like, did I really say that? I don't even believe that anymore. <laughs> That's a mood. Mood. That's such a mood. 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 Yes. I can't be held responsible for things I said two weeks ago, let alone like two years ago or five years ago. But this theory is like six years old. It's a four-part theory. (laughs) I'm so sorry, but you should all read all four parts. Take two hours because it's a really interesting theory. It's called the Heron Hall Conspiracies, and it's not that far-fetched. I don't agree with every facet or point in it, but I feel like it takes all of the info we have from multiple sources, multiple books, pulls it together from what happened at Harrenhal, and it examines it from so many different angles that I, my brain isn't necessarily wired to automatically examine, and and in broad strokes the theory is true and it's more of an analysis and an examination, but it paints out basically that the initial alliance of men gathered at Harrenhal planned to quote-unquote support Rhaegar in order to have him call a council, then Once Eris and Rhaegar had split the Targaryen's support and strength amongst themselves because of infighting, they would use their combined support to press Robert's claim to the Iron Throne instead. And he goes on to make a great point, and this is again, pre-fire and blood. So put that out into context. There was no fire and blood yet. There was only World of Ice and Fire. He says that we've already seen this happen. In a previous council at Harrenhal where Laner Velaryon, a son, descended from the line of a female Targaryen, had a claim and was pressed. So, we have much more context now in all of that. Thank you, George, for writing that book. I love it very much. I love Fire and Blood. But that's an interesting observation to make. Contextualizing the dance within this is also really interesting as you see all these different factions. He goes on to suggest Rhaegar was attempting to have conspirators join him and he lists out who it seemed he had so far, and it's pretty supported by the text. I mean, at least that Rhaegar was making moves. We learned that from Jaime, right? Rhaegar had put his hand on Jaime's shoulder. When this battle's done, I mean to call a council. Changes will be made. I meant to do it long ago. Well, it does no good to speak of roads not taken. We shall talk when I return. Then, because of all these little facets, he makes the assumption that he thinks Lyanna knew the plan to make Robert king because she was betrothed to Robert and in turn would be made his queen, and that he she tells Rhaegar that in the woods. She reveals that plan to Rhaegar, and Rhaegar then becomes a huge hashtag disruptor and disrupts that plan by crowning Lyanna at the tourney instead of crowning his wife, as is Probably the right thing to do, or the normal thing to do, (laughs) you know the the maybe nor I mean you know if you're respecting the the
1: expected thing,
0: yeah, yeah. yeah. It was not just like respect, respect, respect. It was like respect, respect. You know, there's yeah, I don't know, it's a little fishy. So these are a lot of the facets of the theory, and there are some places he takes it that I don't necessarily agree, but there are other places I do. And for example, this is a really interesting reading. He theorizes Ashara was dancing with the men that Rhaegar wanted to liaison with about mm-hmm. conspiring to overthrow his dad, which is really interesting. Like that each one of them she danced with in particular, just to be like, hey, meet at Rhaegar's solar room, you know, go over there. He's he's down the hall. He wants to chit-chat with you. Bye, see ya. Interesting. Very interesting. Because all of those men were mostly men that were Rhaegar supportive. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's true or not. I just like it. But if Rhaegar's dreams were part of his motivation, he had a lot on his list, right? Prince that was promised, stop his evil dad, fix Westeros, get rid of those horrible nightmares giving him migraines all the time, probably.
1: Yeah, it's a, that's a lot of things on one's checklist. It is not... I don't think I would have accomplished it. I think he needed to break it down into maybe smaller parts. And I think he did. He was working on it. And then, you know, was like, mm-hmm, what if I disrupted my whole life in yeah, the whole country? tap that pussy.
0: <laughs> tap yep. that pussy. Put it on a pedestal.
1: Yep. Uh, Though, I don't know. Maybe the old gods, I don't know. Whatever. Maybe. I kind of wonder, like, maybe Ashara was, like, vetting them, you know? Because Barristan does not mm-hmm. seem like he was like, yeah, I'm going to overthrow Ares. He's like, hmm. And <sighs> who knows an if it's him thought.
0: that she dances with, right? Like, it That's could be true. her brother. To be fair,
1: and her brother probably was like, "Yeah, great idea, love that, <laughs> love <laughs> Fuck that for Ares. us."
0: <laughs> yep, my job sucks.
1: So then we find out that the knight of the laughing tree dips his lance and faces three knights, one from each of the houses of the squires from the day before. And the old gods gave strength to his arm, defeating each of them in turn. The common folk cheered. The knight of the laughing tree, and the knight of the laughing tree tells the tree of knights that. Okay, you know what? Is enough payment for ransoming back your armor? Just tell your squires to have honor. Teach them honor. So, once the squires are chastised, their horses and armor are returned, and the little Kranigman's prayer is answered. Bran says, This is a pretty good story, and asks what happened. Like, did the Knight of the Laughing Tree win the tourney and marry a princess?
0: <laughs> no, but maybe a prince.
1: <laughs> uh. uh-huh. And then Mira finishes at the Great Castle. The Stormlord and the Knight of Skulls challenged the Mystery Knight, but the next morning, only two champions appeared. Ooh. The Knight of the Laughing Tree has vanished, and the king sent his son, the Dragon Prince, to go seek out the knight. But they only ever found his painted shield in a tree.
0: Ah. In the world of Ice and Fire, there's some really interesting elaborations on Ares' state of mind during all this, and... This is like a very clean version of it we get in this chapter, but what you can get from the world of ice and fire captivates me. So I want to bring this up here. King Ares II was not a man to take joy in mysteries, however. His grace became convinced the tree on the mystery knight's shield was laughing at him. He commanded his own knights to defeat the knight of the laughing tree when the joust resumed the next morning, so he might be unmasked and his perfidy exposed for all to see. But the mystery knight vanished during night, never to be seen again. This too, the king took ill, certain someone close to him had given warning to this traitor who will not show his face. These are valid paranoia. Yeah, this is very valid paranoia (laughs) to have, considering his son then fucks that traitor. But rolling that back for a minute, we haven't gotten to the fucking yet. That doesn't happen actually in Mira's version, but we know what happens.
1: It's probably later though. First we got the flirtations, or I don't know.
0: I imagine it was like when they're on the run, right? Mm-hmm. Like not right away, but after a handful of days on the road together. I just feel well, and and this is a great this is a great segue. Thank you, Eliana, because if you haven't, Lady Gwyn from Radio Westeros, Lady Guinevere, has written. A theory that is another one of my favorite rebellion era theories, the In at the Crossroads theory. It is godly. You should know it by heart by now. I know it by heart. I don't know why you don't know it by heart. I really, not to shame you all if you're listening and you don't, but I will leave you a link below just because I like you all. So it supposes the Knight of the Laughing Tree totally pissed Eris off, which, yes, we just read that in The World of Ice and Fire. So much so, he sends out a party to find the Knight. By escaping his grasp, this enrages him even more. So then he's like, let's fucking kill the Knight of the Laughing Tree. We're gonna lock him up, torture <laughs> him, murder him. And Rhaegar's like, ha ha ha, ha ha, ha uh, that's a problem. And he's like, wait, no, she's so cute, lol. So he rides after the Knight of the Laughing Tree, intercepts her actually at the Inn at the Crossroads, which has become a great crux for so much of the story of people meeting. And oops. He and Liana run, you know, on the run to escape Ares, and it sets off a huge chain of accidental events, becomes a huge star-crossed lover, yada, 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 different worlds event. R plus L equals J. I enjoy it. Read it. And to further that, it wasn't just Ares's paranoia, though. We know that Varys was in his ear. Who knows what he was saying? But there's someone else that was in his ear. Simon Staunton was whispering in his ear that Rhaegar had taken part in the tourney only to win the favor of the small folk, which, okay, they don't get a vote. (laughs) Like, who? no offense, I love, like, BTW, I am probably small folk here, but we don't get to vote in the Targaryen elections, you know? Like, we just, what? Well, it makes a little
1: difference later on, as we'll see, like, you know, with uh, some things. But here, I don't know.
0: Yeah. I just don't see it being used as great leverage against Ares, like, oh, he wants to win the small folk. Ares, why don't they love me? Also to remind the Lord's present that he's the true heir, and a true heir to King Aegon the First Targaryen's line, and also Simon Staunton is like, he only crowned Lyanna to gain the support of the North for the Iron Throne, which could have been an oopsies, as discussed earlier with King Littlefinger's theory. Could have been like a, huh, y'all want to fuck? All right, well, fuck this but also Gossip Girl. he probably was also kind of doing so he was making sure the north didn't go without it didn't work yeah. because kind of, of communication but there was no communication yeah.
1: if anything the north is even more mad that he did that they're like excuse
0: me could have written a note
1: our could have Viana? left an email my property
0: our 14 year old daughter
1: <laughs> yeah right Ex- exactly <laughs>
0: dude she still has a curfew
1: my yeah. god Rhaegar.
0: Yeah, she has a curfew and she's betrothed.
1: We have different plans. (sighs) (laughs) Yes. Agreed. Agreed. There's a lot of stuff that points to... Yeah, Ares is paranoid, but at the same time, did he kind of have a point? It's kind of like Cersei, right? Yeah, she's being a little paranoid, but I mean, maybe she should be a little. Just just saying. Broken clock is right twice a day. We close out the chapter, though, with Bran's fanfic. Bran thought about the tale a while. That was a good story, but it should have been the three bad knights who hurt him, not their squires. Then the little craning men could have killed them all! The part about the ransoms was stupid, and the mystery knight should win the tourney, defeating every challenger, and named the wolf maid the queen of love and beauty."
0: She was, said Mira, but that's a sadder story. Are you certain you never heard this tale before, Bran? Asked Jojen. Your lord father never told it to you?
1: Bran shook his head. The day was growing old by then, and long shadows were creeping down the mountainsides to send black fingers through the pines. If the little Kranigman could visit the Isle of Faces, maybe I could too. All the tales agreed that the green men had strange magic powers. Maybe they could help him walk again, even turn him into a knight. They turned the little Cranigman into a knight, even if it was only for a day, he thought. A day would be enough. Ooh, interesting.
0: Mm. Oh, a night for a day.
1: A night for a day. Oh.
0: Hmm. Inside a knight's descendant, maybe.
1: I'm also thinking like a knight. I don't know, turning something into a night for a day, right? As you were saying, like because we have a night, literally the nighttime and the day and the long night, mm. and then oh, battle for dawn and things like that. But also, he does kind of become a knight, or he tries to become a knight for a day, and turns out that wasn't enough.
0: Mm-hmm. When
1: he's in Hodor and. Also, I don't know. There's a little meta stuff here too, right? Like Bran being like, "Well, I don't know. I think the story should have gone this way." That's a little meta in terms of both within *The Song of Ice and Fire* of people being like, "Well, we would have really liked things to go this way," but also for the readers, <laughs> you know, being like, "I don't think that's how the story should have ended," or "I don't think that theory."
0: Mm-hmm. I have
1: my th- people have their theories, right? We, you, and I have our theories, right?
0: Um, you some know? people have theories. I have canon. Oh, sorry, sorry. It's literally my in the bad. podcast name. Yep. We have this canons. Is,
1: this is Girl Gone Canon.
0: Not Girls Gone Theory. <laughs> did, I'm going to need you, go. you to exit if you think this podcast is about theories now, Eliana.
1: Well, yeah, I'm I'm just a guest here. This is Girl Gone Canon oh my Singular. God.
0: <laughs> Jesus Christ. <sighs> yeah, I, I love the meta too of I don't think this is how it should go. I think this is how it should go. Presenting seasons three through eight. Two through eight. <laughs> One <laughs> through... <clears throat> anyways I love this chapter I've told you all why I love it I love the importance of storytelling keeping some of these stories alive whether it's in yeah. physical format whether it's the citadel right and all the, the many books and the many stories and the that's really like the, the super telephone office of their world so much info and news leaves and goes out from that citadel out to everyone Birds. Birds carrying stories. Birds telling stories. Animals. Hell, animals being skin-changed into and warged into and that telling a story. I love the many faceted layers George has played with in this chapter, and I was so excited to read it with you.
1: Yeah, and there's something you said just now about the different ways stories manifest. You called out, like, you know if they just, like, remember old Nan, right? And the stories about old Nan, not the ones that she told, but remembering her. That's kind of what they're doing here, right? They're keeping the memory of these people who are at this tourney. Alive by telling these stories. And maybe that's part of the surprise of, are you sure you've never heard this story before, Bran? But it was too too painful for Ned to relive those and keep those memories alive. But that was the way to keep them alive. And
0: let them grow up as brothers.
1: Yeah, he should have. He really should have, probably, but I understand why he didn't.
0: And let my lady wife find it in her heart to forgive. Bruh. I love it, and it just makes me think of... Agat, when he's riding in the rain, going to go see Robert's bastard, and he thinks, would Rhaegar have frequented a place like this? Something inside of him said no. He would not have.
1: WWRD. But Rhaegar, not Robert. What would Rhaegar do?
0: No one knows, because that bitch is dead. hmm Well, until next week, when we talk about more of Rhaegar Targaryen's relatives, as we get to God Queen's Crown. Queen's Crown, a big chapter, lots of Alessandra Harris Night's Watch stuff going on, so brush up on your Fire and Blood chapters if you haven't <laughs> recently, and I look forward to chatting about it with you next week, Alyana.
1: Yeah, thank you for having me on this, this oh, podcast. fucking god. If you want to keep up with more of my guest appearances on Girl Gone <laughs> Cannon, you can follow us on social media. Girls Gone Canon. Whoa, what a, weird, what a weird handle you have on Twitter. Girls Gone Canon. that's C-A-N-O-N, over on Twitter. Or you can shoot us an email at GirlsGoneCanon at gmail.com.
0: Aren't you all so glad we don't pre-record this segment of the podcast? And if you have not already, please follow us on your favorite podcast streaming platform, whether that is Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, Acast, iTunes, Audible, Amazon, Pandora, iHeartRadio, did I say that? A- any of them, just give us a Google, we'll show up.
1: And somewhere that we definitely always are is on Patreon.com slash Girls Gone Canon, where patrons in the $5 tier and above this month get an episode about a song for Leah slash Lia.
0: And we will be having our monthly patron Discord brunch slash happy hour. It'll be taking place January 21st from 1pm for a couple hours on ET, Eliana Time, that's available for the Thunder Tier and above, 10 bucks and up, and we'll also be starting some weekly rewatches in February for Series 3 of His Dark Materials, sorry, Season 3? Season
1: 3, we own it now.
0: Oh my god. So make sure you join up for that. As always, I have been your host, Chloe.
1: And I have been a, such an excited guest here, Eliana. <laughs>
0: Fucking God. Hopefully we'll be back next week with the usual hosts. I don't know what's going on here. Bye. Bye. Wow,
1: we did it.